0: Okay. Thank you for the clock. Thank you. Welcome. I told you that what God was doing was is that he was going to give us he was giving us a one two punch that was going to take us into this new year in an incredible way, build a foundation for us to go off of this entire year. When I when I say that, we're in our series empowered, and empowered just simply enough is this idea that God wants to do anything he wants to do through you. So how do we become vessels of that? How do we become the kind of people who God can do anything he wants to do, whether you get it, whether you understand it, whether you like it? Bottom line that God can do anything that he wants to do through you, right? And by the way, you're going to like it, okay? And so the bottom line is that's what we're doing. And the way that we're doing it is we're looking at Luke. And Luke is... Jesus discipling his disciples to make them exactly these kinds of people where God can do anything he wants to them and then what we're saying is is Jesus doesn't just disciple the people in Luke that way he disciples us that way so we're going right through the journey with the disciples and learning and growing in the things that God taught them so that we become those same kinds of disciples right so that's what we're doing now In my small, er, or last week when we looked at this, the part, I just need to bring everybody up to speed because it's a one, two, and we looked at a scripture, and the part that we looked at that was interesting was, the part that we really focused on was, Jesus saying one of the hardest things that he's ever said to the disciples. The story is, we'll look at it in a second in more detail, but the story is, this man has a son who is demon-possessed and or, we don't know if it was... That was why he was sick, or if he was sick as a separate thing. But the bottom line is, is that he also seemed to have some sort of seizures and so on. It may have been from possession. may have been from something else. doesn't matter. The point is that his disciples, who had been anointed by Jesus earlier, he sent them out. They came back and said, we saw people get healed, and we saw people get delivered. So they had done exactly this. But with this guy's son... The guy brought him to him, and the disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus says these words to him, which are harsh. Let's be frank. They are harsh. You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Now, if you want to know why Jesus said that in more detail, please visit last week. Okay? You can go online. You can, you can, they're everywhere. You can listen to it, watch it. You can do anything you want to do with it. Okay? Pretty soon it will be holographed in your living room. Okay? But bottom line, are you faithless and corrupt people? How long must I be with you and put up with you? He's saying something that's pretty harsh. Now, in my most excellent small group, okay, we were we were talking, and I asked the question. I said, "Let's just get down underneath the surface here." We talk about, and as Christians, we want to believe that we're into God being able to do anything He wants through us. But the truth is really i mean if we were being completely truly true and honest we would find that we don't all really want that not really there's some things we're really good with and some things we're not so cool with and so i asked is this something that you really want and one of the people in our group who uh, i don't even know how to describe it exactly but let me just say what he said what he said was is he said here's the answer for me yes and no now can i say something Nobody else answered this way, so there was... But, you know, the pious Christian, to that answer, do you really want this? Yes, absolutely. And they would ignore that there is a part of us that doesn't want that. And so when we do that, this guy, by saying yes and no, was actually closer to Paul than the person that says, yes, I absolutely want that. Why? Because Paul is a guy who... You know, great Christian, right? I mean, Paul's kind of like the Christian I'd like to be like, right? I mean, he's kind of the one that's modeled and lifted up. He's really good. And what happens is, is that Paul comes along at one point in time and says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and don't do the things that I do want to do? Why does this happen? What is it about that's in me, what is in there that's causing me to not just be wholly sold out, that's that's causing me to not actually do the things that God wants me to do and just stop doing anything else? What is going on in me? And this is one of the most important parts of Christianity, of Scripture for a Christian. When Paul says, look, bottom line is, I figured out I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does that. Now, that may sound like a cop-out, particularly if you don't know the Lord. That may sound like, well, that just makes you schizophrenic or something. But the truth is, is that Paul says it again, repeating himself, not... He does, in Scripture, God doesn't repeat himself because he's verbose he repeats himself for emphasis and Paul comes around and says look if I do what I don't want to do if I'm doing things that I don't want to do it's not I'm not really the one that's doing the wrong it's sin that's living in me that does that and again as Christians we can understand this because what we understand is is before we knew Christ there was a part of us called the flesh and called us And we wanted to do all kinds of things, and some of which happened to line up with God, and some of which didn't, and who cared? Right? We just wanted to do what we wanted to do. And we may have some morality to it, we may have other things going on, but bottom line is, we did what we thought was right, and mostly that had to do with what we wanted to do. Now here comes Paul. And he says, it turns out when you get born again, when you get a new nature, that's your Adamic nature. That's this thing that is rebellious towards God, and that is still in you as long as you're upright in this world. As long as you're still in this body of flesh. That's still in you. But there's a new thing that's in you. This nature that God has put in you. The one that comes from God. The one that's in, breathed into you by the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit resides with you in that. And that's who you actually are. Because when you die, that old stuff goes into the ground and goes to, turns into dust. That, the, the stuff that God b- borned in you, that goes and is with God forevermore. See? And that, I can, anyway, there's, there's more to all that, but let me just show you. Let me just show you what I believe to be arguably the most important words for any Christian in how to walk their life. Because it comes right after Paul identifies that there's these two things at war in me. And he says this, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Look, to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh, that's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Adamic nature, this other thing, we thought that it could, it turned out it can't. We thought we could overcome it. Turned out we couldn't. But the bottom line is it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Period. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, when we read that, I think most people read it like this. I get it when we're talking about sexual sins or murder or cheating or stealing or doing something bad to somebody or just, you know, really putting somebody in a bad place. That's sin, obvious sin, and that's what it's talking about. No, it's not. Read it carefully. Of course that's in the category, but that's a subcategory of what it's talking about. You know what it's talking about? Let's be clear for the modern person. It's talking about TV. It's talking about playing games. It's talking about uh, uh, working too hard. It's talking about not going to sleep on time. It's talking about drinking too much. It's talking about, um, it's talking about Facebook too much. It's talking about Pinterest too much. Pinterest? No, not Pinterest. Yes, yeah, see, there, thank you. That's what I needed. Because it wasn't a guy saying that about Pinterest. Thank you. That was the perfect special effect. You see it? It's talking about anything. You know, I, I really want to say this, okay? You can get into a sin place in gardening. If <laughs> Somebody said, yep. <laughs> I think gardening is a sin, period. But, you know, that's just me, okay? <laughs> Sorry. But you get it, right? The point is, is that there's this thing that we can do. Now, look, at, look, TV and games and Pinterest and Facebook and gardening, none of that. It's sinful in itself. It's just not. It's just that meat sacrificed. It doesn't matter. It's just there. It's just meat. It's just a thing, right? The problem is not the thing. The problem is us. Let me tell you what most people do in order to get out of the bad place into which they get into when one of these things captures them. Facebook, Pinterest, etc. Right? Here's what we do. We throw it out. We get rid of it entirely. Right? That's what we do. I, I personally, TV, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do a lot of work while I'm watching TV because I like the background noise and so on. But I just want to tell you, I, I have three times in my life thrown out the TV and just gone for long periods of time without the TV. And, I, and my heart was is that that would be the thing that would sort of take that out of me. And you know what happened was it did take something out of me, but something else replaced it that wasn't good. It was a place of disconnectedness from the creation that God had made in the world in which I live. I'm not of that world, but I'm still in it. And there was a heart and a compassion and understanding. There was something that happened in me that hardened when I took certain stances in certain ways. I'm not saying this is anybody else, by the way. You could, you know, this, is, this is somewhat personal, but I just, I just want to say that when I, I did the thing that you would think, just get rid of it. If it's a problem, get rid of it. Right? But here's what God came to me every time I've done anything like that. He'll let me do it for a while until I get to this place to where I'm just not, I'm not as hard anymore. I'm not, there's something not right in me. And then God will come and he'll say something like this. Do you see again? I'm not trying to get rid of that thing. I'm trying to get rid of who you are with that thing. I'm trying to make me first. I don't care about it. But I'm trying to make me first in it and that's why just getting rid of it doesn't actually work most of the time I'm not saying you can't get rid of certain things right but but my point is, is is that what I need to do is I need to learn how to live with him first in the middle of this life that's what I'm going for and here's what's interesting about it when you learn how to do that The thing that we brought up in the first sermon was faith. That's what that sermon was all about, is understanding the things that God can do and getting our minds, understanding this journey this year, I told you, is going to be a loving and graceful, which means not too intense, but very definitely, surely a building of faith. I believe by the time that we get to the end of this year, everybody in here is going to have a very different level of faith than you had before. And not because you got pressed into it and you got all freaked out and you worked your way into it. Quite the opposite of that. You let God take you on a journey. And step by step by step, lovingly, graciously, He's going to build us into men and women who have much more faith than we did when we began. Do you see it? And it turns out that that's the same spirit. You can kind of see it, can't you? When you get to where He's first in all, keep me first in everything, and I'll add everything else. It turns out when we keep Him first in all that we can move it turns out that it actually causes us to become much more faith-filled effectively faith-filled overflowingly faith-filled that makes a difference in the world so that's where we're headed does that sound like a good idea how to start this year off in a way that builds us up and how to live this life in a way that adds to faith that lines us up with god that's what we're going to do here so who's our prayer oh jen lebonski this is awesome by the way, Jen Lebonsky, we have several counselors in the church. She is one of them. She is fantastic. Thank you for the heart that you have and all the counselors in here. The way that you care about other people and you give your time and your energy and your skill, your God-given gift in order to make a difference in people's lives, as you do, Jen. So thank you for that. Would you pray for the sermon?
1: Sovereign Lord, we come to you this week a little bit shaken. You have, in your wisdom, walked with us through dark places. Um, today we lay, we leave one of our congregation in your hands. Amen. Um, a friend, and we are reminded, as Terry is with you, that we are people of eternity and that this is not our home, but we live here in your spirit and by your grace anyways. We've also seen um, a great tragedy come to Curt and Julie's family as Julie's parents have completely lost their home. And I pray in that. I find myself praying, thank you, Lord not for the devastation but that you will step in in a great way in the middle of this when kurt and julie have been shaken you are big that you promise to never leave us or forsake us That you are with us always amen and that you, you never take anything from us that you will not replace and so we say this week lord you have our attention and we lay down our agenda to say what's yours. Amen. And I want to pray for the church in France, for all those who call on the name of the Lord, who Jesus is their savior. And what I pray is that they will be protected from becoming a church of politics, but they will rise up in your spirit that we as a church around the world will know to fall to our knees and when to stand with your glory on our heads, to be atmosphere changers changers, with our shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. But we are not a church of politics. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jen. Beautiful. Thank you for the outpouring that has happened. From you to Julie, our family. I, I do want to say I had the great pleasure of having had my in-laws come to the Lord. And we had a hand in that. And that was one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. And so they do encounter this devastating moment with Him. And it just changes everything. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, man, watching the difference between somebody go through things with the Lord and without Him is just remarkable. So they're hurting. But uh, God's got them, so phenomenal. Um, let, me, let me do this. I'm going to read quickly the verses that we did last week, and I'm not going to go into them in great detail, but I need you to know the story because we're going to actually look at the story in other gospel versions. And do understand something. When we see two different gospel versions of a story, understand it's no different than you going down to Starbucks and having a conversation with one person for one point and the story comes to your mind as an illustration of the point you're making so you tell the story in a certain way you're not being unfactual you're not being untrue you're not changing any facts you're just emphasizing certain aspects of that story in order to make the point that you're making right and then somebody and then and then an hour later you're with somebody else and the same story comes to mind but for a different purpose you tell the story but it comes out different because it's for a different point. See? That's all that's happening in the Gospels. They're doing these things for a point. They're trying to make a point when they're telling the story. These are not history books, even though they're historically true. But they're not writing history. What they're writing is this is what happened and this is what it meant, and I'm trying to get you to understand what it means. See? That's what John says about it exactly. So here goes the story, okay? The next day after they come down from the mountain, that was Transfiguration. A large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him and making him scream. Throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. How tragic. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it, Jesus. Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, Bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy, and then he gave him back to his father. Okay, now that's the story that we're looking at. We're going to look at it in a couple of different Gospels. But I do want to say the point of the story for Luke has to do with them understanding that he's about to die, even though they don't understand it they can't understand it but he's telling them in advance he's saying I'm gonna die you're thinking about what you're learning has to do with me being here with you I'm telling you I need you to learn how to do this stuff without me because you're the one that's going to be doing it because I won't be here anymore and so the very next part of the story in the Luke version has Jesus telling his disciples listen to me and remember what I say the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of his enemies they didn't know what he meant they couldn't know understand what he meant okay so you get the drift alright got it now what I want to do is, is I want to take you to mark who had a different point point. and the point that mark was really emphasizing was faith in fact in his story it's a identical story except for one little section where the man comes to Jesus and says you know uh, heal him if you can and Jesus says if I can anything is possible to somebody who believes and I love this dad so much this is one of my favorite things to say and I think it will hopefully become a mantra of everybody here this year I believe help my unbelief that's what the man says I believe help my unbelief I believe there's a part of me that gets it but there's this other part in me that's impeding it you help me get past that so that I believe the way that you're saying that's what we're all saying right so then what happens is but the part that I want to get to is, at the very end of it, when they go to the private place where he told them that he was going to die, he also tells them, they go into his house, his disciples ask him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer, and then note the bracket, and fasting. Now I want you to focus on the bracket here. We're just doing a, little, just a brief little Bible moment here, okay? This is, we're, in a, we're in Bible class now, all right? Whenever you see a bracket go to the margin, and nine times out of ten, it's going to say this. The earliest manuscripts, earliest or best manuscripts, don't have this in it. What that means is this was probably added by somebody. Now, there's people who in a silly fashion say, see, you can't trust the Bible because people added things to it. Well, that's just stupid. You, you realize how long, how many hundreds of years, incredibly smart people have been looking in very scientific ways at these documents to understand precisely what was the earliest one? The very reason that we have brackets in this translation is because somebody caught that it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts and they were pointing out to you, this is not in the earliest manuscript and there's a pretty good chance this was not original, uh, originally what Jesus said. Period. See it? So they're noting to you, this is there. In fact, a lot of your Bibles translations won't even add end prayer. They'll just have an asterisk. You go over to the, to the footnote and it'll say, later manuscripts add and fasting. Now we're going to ask the question, why did they add that? But I want to show you in this particular example how this thing kind of ran rampant. It's one of the very rare times that this happens in scripture. It does not happen very often. But this is the most interesting one of the, all the times it does happen almost. Okay? Now here's what happens. In Matthew, a section that we're going to get to about faith later. But then look at the end. Bracket. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And we're going to see in the end, we're going to see that that addition to that thing totally destroys everything that's being said above. It's different in spirit. Okay? It shouldn't be there. Period. But we want to ask this question. Why is it? why does something like that get in there? Now there's all kinds of technical reasons that we can ask that, but you always have to go below the technical reasons to understand the heart of it. And I wanna say that in the original transcribers, you have gotta understand something, when people transcribe these, remember how they wrote the Bible? They wrote it on parchment or on leather, something that they wanted to last as long as it could, but as long as it could was typically like, you know what, 100 years would be a really long time. So at some point in time, somebody had to copy onto new parchment or new leather or new cuneiform or whatever it was. They had to copy onto something new what was there. And so when these transcribers did this, at a later date, they added that. And what we've got to do is not just technically go through that. We've got to understand what's in the heart of it. And I want to tell you, I think there is a charitable way to understand what the transcriber's done here. But here's the point. It's not just about what the transcribers did and why they did it. It's about the effect it has on us. Because when you read those words, that has an effect. And here's the effect that it has 9 out of 10, if not 99 out of 100, if not 999 out of 1,000. Here's the effect it has on us. A religious spirit. A religious impulse. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. A little interesting piece of history anthropology for you at this point in time I don't know how many it we've discovered but through the ages through the thousands of years we've discovered these what we call previously undiscovered people groups and what that means is literally a tribe it might be as it might be 50 to 100 people that live in some geographically isolated place that literally that people does not know that other people exist on the globe they do not know that there's anybody else out there in the world period it's not like they go out and look at them and spy. Oh, they're over there. and We're over here to hide. No, they really don't know that anybody else exists. And the world didn't know that they exist. Right? So here's the point behind that. There's no way that the, they're picking up the culture of the world. It's not like they're watching TV and picking up on TV what was going on in the bigger culture. Here's what happens. We've discovered at this point in time hundreds if not thousands of these undiscovered people groups. And here's the amazing fact. Every single time, we discover them still to today, by the way. This is not just something that happened in old days. Steve Hyde, a missionary in in, uh, Cambodia, he discovered an undiscovered people group. There was a legend about some people in the the hills and nobody had ever seen them. The government didn't know they were there. It was in their own borders. And the government didn't know. That's how thick the jungles are. The government didn't know that they were there. And they did an expedition to try and find them, as had many people. And they just happened to find them, led the whole tribe to Christ, by the way praise God but here's the point when they got there they discovered what every person who's ever discovered an undescribed, undiscovered people group found every single one of them here's what they find they have a conception that there's a God every time and that there's something wrong between the God and them there's something that they need to be doing in a religious exercise a religious impulse in order to get back to this God Who is at least partly angry with them? Every single time, this is what they find. Now, in the old days, the way we used to describe that is: is yeah, life is hard, right? So what happens is, is you know, you're in a you know, weather changes and you get a good crop, or then you get a bad crop. And when you get a bad crop, you try and figure out what can I do? And you know, you can't change the weather, so you oh, well, if there's this God, and so what? What the anthropologists say who want to explain away God, what they say is. Oh, it's just this thing of, in order to control our environment, we come up with this fake thing that can control our environment. And if we just sacrifice to him, and if we do the right things, then that God will do what we need him to do in order for us to be fed. You see the impulse? Well, I want to tell you this. Now, this is recent scholarship. We have now discovered so many people groups. And the story, here's the key to it. The story in each people group is so Similar. It's not similar. It's the same. These are people that did not interact with the wider culture, and on their own, they came up with stories that are identical to every other story. So identical that modern researchers have said it's no longer possible that this is just that anthropological explanation. See, it's no. It, we would not get this amount of agreement if it was just because of some need in farming and so on. And so now here's the new explanation that explains the way that God is the reason why people see things and think things, right? The new way of explaining it is, oh, see, what happens is our brains are put together in a certain fashion. And so when we have this need, it goes down a certain path. And so it's going to lead to the same story, because our brains are made that way, which prompts the Christian to say, And that might be because God made the brain that way so that we would discover God. (laughs) Right? Okay? But here's the point that I'm making. In every one of these religions, the religious impulse is, there's a God, and then I'm down here, and what has to happen is, I have to do something to climb up here, and the higher I get, the more scarier it gets. But I have to do something in order to get to him. This is a total sidebar. Josh Morris, are you still in here? He was earlier. You're the craziest person I've ever known. I have walked into this, into this building. Josh Morris had the biggest ladder we've got, which still doesn't reach the roof. And he was standing on top of this, on his tiptoes, reaching up as high as he could, changing lights. I told him every time. I said, that's the biggest lawsuit I've ever seen. <laughs> but back to the story what I want to tell you is is that that's the religious impulse we have to get to God and it's that religious impulse that makes Christianity so interesting because here's what Christianity says that no other religion says by the way this is if you have a religion where it's a personal God or if you have a religion that is more in that sort of karmic sense of a of a deistic consciousness In every single one of them, the idea is still, you have to do something to get back, to get to. See that? You have to do something. And here's what Christianity says that no other religion says. We we did this before Christmas. Try it. Do whatever you can to try and get to God. Because what you're going to find is your ladder ain't big enough. Your Tower of Babel isn't tall enough. You cannot get back to him. What Christianity says is, is by the time that you finally learn that you cannot get back to him, you start to understand the true nature of God because the nature of God in most of those religions is he's somewhat angry at us and so we have to appease him in some fashion. But here's what Christianity says. I love you so much that when you finally realize that you cannot, I will. I will come to you. I will save you. That was in my heart all along. You tried to do it on your own. You realized you could not do it on your own. You could not succeed. I can. I can come to you and I can make you new. I will die for you. I will take upon myself your consequences. I will make you a new person so that you have a heart that will be after following me. I can do what you cannot. You need a Savior. Try it all you want until you know that you need a Savior. And then rejoice because you have one. Whereas in those other religions, he just stays up there, and if you don't get there, it's on you. Do you see it? That's extraordinary, isn't it? But what we're going after is the religious impulse still exists in Christians too, doesn't it? Because nobody in here has ever had any sense whatsoever of having to work their way back into God's good graces. Right? I mean, completely misunderstanding what grace means, which is unmerited favor. that you could not have done what it took in order to deserve this grace, right? But what we do is, is that we nonetheless work at, we nonetheless are susceptible to, in our human fallen nature, in the deception that Satan has put in each of our hearts, there's a difference between you and God, he's mad at you and you've got to do something in order to appease him. And that's the religious impulse. And what I want to say is, whether it was the transcribers or whether it's us who are reading their additional transcription, when we read that, we say, yeah, that's, that explains it. Because here's what the problem is, see. There was, there was these people that we delivered. God anointed us, and we delivered those people. But we do understand that Jesus is still more than us, which is true, right? We still understand that Jesus is more than us. And so that means there's still something wrong with us. And so there's got to be something more than just saying, be gone and be delivered. There's got to be something. Have you ever watched a movie where somebody got delivered? What is it virtually every single time? Right? From the Exodus, I mean from, uh, what's the name of the movie? Not Exodus. <laughs> Although Exodus was a pretty crappy movie too, but. What? Exorcism. Yeah, there you go. Exorcist, yeah. But in the Exorcist, what is it? It's always what, is it? It's, it's like some Catholic priest going through some religious. It's all in line. You've got to do these steps in order. You've got to say it in Latin. you got to have the whole time. you got to have the... to do this. You've got to do that. you got to do this. you got to do... This. You gotta do this. Did, you, did you see it? You've got... Really, I, I, I don't know if, what's happening. I am at the side. I'll try that. Do we get it? There's this religious impulse. I can't do that. That's going to distract me the whole time, so... I'll just keep working it. It's okay. We'll make it work. If I have to use a handheld, I will. But not yet, though. Let me try. Okay. You see now you see the argument that I'm making? It wasn't enough to say that it's simple. It's never enough for us to say that it's love and it's grace, just accept it. <laughs> There's always another part of us that's trying to take us on a different journey where you got to do something you see it and so by the time we get these other people doing these transcriptions this has worked itself into the fabric now I want to tell you and I'll show you in a second how that just totally is against what what Jesus actually did say completely the spirit of is it is entirely different but what I want us to catch right now is is I want you to see this look he did say this kind can come out by nothing but prayer He did say that. That's in the original manuscript. We can be fairly confident within like 99.999% that he actually said that. So he did say something. He said, you delivered these guys with the anointing I had, but now you've come to a different situation, and what, does it look different to them? No, it just looks like these people, right? But Jesus is saying there was something different going on that you didn't catch now watch how are we to read prayer this is why I think they got the religious impulse because he said it can't come out by prayer and so what they're saying is is oh yeah that's what you gotta do you gotta do the Catholic thing you gotta do the you know I'm not saying you know I love Catholics too but but, anyway whatever Uh, but the point is is you gotta do the ritual you gotta do the formula you gotta work the process and say it in Latin and do the things that you gotta do right well, let me ask you this. What did Jesus do to deliver this kid? He said you couldn't it wouldn't come out by anything but prayer. So, tell me in the three stories that we have about this exact story, tell me where he ever actually prayed. Cuz that's what we read it as, right? It can only come out by prayer. So, when he was delivering it, he said some sort of voodoo prayer. Right? But he didn't, did he? Look, When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, we saw it in Luke already, there was no prayer there, right? And in this one, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and new spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. No prayer. So what does he mean by saying it only comes out by prayer? What is he saying? What does he mean? Well, we have to go to the rest of Scripture. Scripture. That's where I'm going, Paul. As always, you're ahead of me, thank you. He said, didn't he say pray ahead of time? If we go to scripture and we look at where did he pray, because he didn't, he wasn't saying you gotta pray, and he didn't mean it. He wasn't saying it, no, just kidding, you, you don't really have to pray, right? What he's saying here is, look, by the way, this is, this is Jesus telling us not to pray that one way. Don't babble on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered by repeating their words again and again. That's one way of praying. You know, in the Greek society where he was, there was this very strong thing of when they would sell these like, little idols and so on, and then you had to say certain words in a certain way, and it was like an incantation that would conjure God. You see it? That's what he's coming against here. He's saying, don't do that. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. That's a key phrase. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Well, then why ask? Keep that in your head. But here's what the message says, and I love this. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, and they peddle techniques for getting what you want from God. Boy, there's a sermon right there. Forgetting what you want from God. (laughs) The way you think it ought to be, even if it's something good. The way you think it ought to be. Fall for that nonsense. This is your father, and he knows better than you what you need. He knows better than you what you need. So again, I'm asking the question, what did Jesus do? Paul got it there before I did. Here's here's the time that we see Jesus praying. He often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And when he did that, it wasn't for 10 minutes, and it wasn't a two-minute prayer in the middle of his day. He would withdraw to the wilderness, and he would spend extended periods of time with God. Now here's my question what was he doing there what in fact what are we doing when we pray I don't care what kind of prayer it is I don't care if it's a prayer because you need healing or if it's a prayer because you need finances fixed or it's a prayer because you need a relationship fixed I don't care if it's a prayer for your job I don't care if it's a prayer that you're just having a relationship with him what is the fundamental impulse that lives underneath every single prayer that we pray what's the fundamental thing that God is asking us to do if he already knows what you need why ask why is he asking us to ask? Why is Jesus himself going out and praying? Why? What is the fundamental impulse? Go ahead. Give me a shot. Go ahead, Larry. He wants us to connect with him. Absolutely. I want to take it one step further than just that, because that's what you're saying is absolutely true. That's absolutely beautiful. It's not exactly what I'm going for, but that's exactly right. Did you have something? Or are you just stretching? Don't stretch. Don't stretch at this point in time. You're going to get called on. Paul. You guys hear this? God does nothing in the world without first revealing it to his prophets. That's very much on point. And let me just go ahead. Yes, but um, but, uh, but I still think we're getting. Why pray? Go ahead. It's it's really great, but go ahead. I store another out there, and I'm gonna just going to give it here for a sec. To, to pray all for control. In, in control. We're we're getting this. Everybody's just touching on it. I'm going to do one more. Where was the hand back there? Princess, go for it. Yes, but but underneath all of these, watch this. In every answer that we've given, and they're all great, that's exactly why he wants to pray. Nobody said anything that isn't true. But let me take you one step deeper. Here's what prayer is about. Getting us lined up with him. Because remember, there's this part of us that doesn't really want what he wants. See that? We've got to spend time with him so that we start getting our minds set on the things of the Spirit watch even Jesus had to go through this no way yes way the garden going he takes the three disciples up with him going a little ahead he fell to the ground and prayed for a way out Papa father you can can't you get me out of this take this cup away from me but please not what I want now what does that imply he does not want what the father wants. <laughs> it doesn't just imply it it says it. He is Jesus himself is saying there is this part of my flesh that does not want what this is. And I have got to get victory over that. I have got to get on top of that or I'm not going to go. <laughs> do you see it? Now watch. But please, excuse me. But please not what I want. What do you want? Here's the fundamental impulse in prayer. Whether we're praying for something that we need or any... Here's how we pray. I have a financial need. Oh, God, please meet my financial need. Let me suggest an entirely different way to pray. Oh, God, what are you doing in the midst of this financial need? What am I supposed to be praying for? We know not even how to pray for what we're to pray for, the word says. See it? That's one of the reasons why it's great to pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues. Because what that does is it lines you up to where you're praying is according to the will of God, and now you start going, okay, what am I praying? Give me revelation, Lord. And all of a sudden you start understanding, oh, I'm praying. Oh, I see what he's asking me to pray for. What's he trying to teach me? Can I tell you? You need to understand. There's all kinds of things that I have prayed for regarding this church and my life that had to do with what I thought was the best thing. And these were not, quote unquote, ungodly things. I'm not talking about sin for my pleasure in my flesh. I'm talking about the way that I thought things should go. And here's what I want to tell you. When I talk about God taking us on a journey of faith, here's the thing that God is doing with me. I don't care about what I think anymore. In fact, I've become incredibly suspect of it. I can't tell you that I'm not going to make it a formula. Anything I want can't be God. That's just its own religious impulse, right? But here's what I am saying. I recognize every single time that I do in fact have a dog in the fight whether I see it or not. And that I have to spend enough time with God that he can penetrate through what I want so that I start hearing what he wants. So that I can start being where he wants me to be. Who he wants me to be. How he wants me to be. Do you see it? These trials and tribulations that God brings upon us, we think that they're for our growth. It turns out they are. It turns out that when we, when we handle them the way that he would have us handle them, not as you did something bad and I'm going to slap your wrist. The other shoe's going to drop and you're going to get something bad now. But instead he's working all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things means even the worst things that we do. And if we would start understanding even the worst things that we do, he is working them to a good thing. And what we're doing is we're spending time praying and spending time with him. And we're spending so much time with him that we start understanding. And if we never do get to understanding, who cares? Because in the end, all we've got to get to is, is whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Period. Do you see it? This is how he says it to Peter. He came back and he found him asleep and he said to Peter, Simon, you went to sleep on me. Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert. Be in prayer. And I've, I've bracketed myself because the message is really taking a lot of liberties with the words and I just didn't like how he went here and I, so I went back to more of the original language so this would be a more. But anyway, you get it. so stay alert. Be in prayer so that you don't succumb to temptation. You see it? Get lined up with me. Get your mind on the things of the Spirit so that you don't succumb. You do remember that right before this moment, Peter comes to Jesus and says, I'll never deny you. And and Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the night's out. (laughs) Do you hear what he's saying to him right here? Stay awake. Pray. Get lined up with God. And I'm telling you what God is saying is, it's possible that Peter should not have had happen what was the worst thing in his life that had ever happened. Him after Jesus was arrested, denying him three times. It's the worst thing that we see in Scripture that ever happened to Peter. And what Jesus is saying, you don't have to go through that. Get lined up with me so that you don't fall into it. You see it? Cool, huh? I'm telling you, said Jesus, I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do anything. Only what he sees the father doing. What the son does, the son does. Now let's be clear. Is he saying ontologically that he couldn't have done anything he wanted to do? No, of course, ontologically. You know that word, it just means in your being. In his being, as God, he could have done anything he wanted to. But here's what he's saying. I have emptied myself of me that I might be filled with him and only be Him. And not only do I only do what I see Him doing, but I don't speak on my authority. The Father sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Not just what to say, but how to say it. You see it? Isn't that what we want to be? Yes and no. I really do want to be that. Until you take some things away from me that I kind of like. They're comforting to me here's what God is saying I get that you're afraid of saying I want to be a missionary because you think I'm gonna send you to Africa I get that you're afraid of that that's not who I am quit fearing that I'm gentle long-suffering but I'm patient and I walk you on a journey and what happens is is that there's this process that takes place And lovingly and gently, I raise you up into precisely the kind of person that you need to be for whatever I'm calling you to be. And it's not just that you need to be. It's that whatever you wanted over here, you will want differently. How many of you have walked with the Lord long enough? How many of you have spent enough time with Him in prayer that you have learned that when you spend time with Him in prayer, your desires change, your wants change? How many of you? Can testify to when you spend time with him it changes what you want and if look look if it changes what you want you really don't want the other thing so you didn't lose anything and you start wanting the thing that he had and that's awesome right well i'm telling you justine morris has a sermon coming up that that takes this to another level that is phenomenal but i've already preached enough today so i'm going to We're going to do something here. And what we're going to do is, I'm going to suggest to you that when Serenity did her just incredibly good sermon and analogy that she did on tetrachromat. One word, but tetrachromat. Tetra meaning four and chromat. Remember, we've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. I just want to remind anybody who wasn't here. I mean, remind people that were here and let other people know. But there's three colors that we see as an analogy. There's three colors that we see the world through. And all of us see that. And tetrachromat is somebody who has actually a fourth cone that actually does see in another part of light spectrum. And there's like three or four people in the world that do that. By the way, last week a bunch of people raised their hand and said they could see it. Somebody explained that to me, and that's that We can't reproduce the colors that they're seeing in, a, in the PowerPoint graphic way that we can do it. So some people could see it for various reasons, but the bottom line is, is that when you actually see those in the way that they present them, and I don't know how they do that, but there's a way that they present them that only tetrachromats can see it, okay? and so the bottom line is is that what we have is is we've got this fourth way of seeing the world and we've been calling that a spiritual way and here's what serenity said if you don't rest then the normal stuff of life starts gumming up the works on that fourth cone and you don't see the things of God and now here's what we're saying today if you'll take time and pray if you'll actually take time and spend time with him He'll clean off the gunk from that fourth way of seeing, and you'll start seeing him in everything. Do you see it? Prayer. Now let me make it clear. I wish, I, I, I've, I've been doing something with you that I think is a little, I need to apologize and not apologize, because it's not really my fault, but you could be, you could, anyway. Watch. I've been telling you that if you don't have a prayer life, just start and just spend 10 minutes. I don't care. You know, spend 10 minutes reading your scripture and then 10 minutes praying. And I've been saying, just take 20 minutes, or even 15. If you only got 15, take 15. But here's what happens. Somebody said it in our small group. They said, you know, I do my devotional, and then I go into my day, and it's by the end of my day, I don't even remember the devotional. Can I say something about what a devotional needs to be? about what time with God needs to be. It needs to be the beginning of a conversation in a day. People say, I don't need to pray in that concentrated way because A, I don't have time, and B, I pray to God all day long. We should all be praying to God every single second of every single day. Paul says, I pray without ceasing. We should all be talking with God all the time. But here's what the problem is. We're pretty gummed up. We hear a lot of other noises. That still, small, quiet voice of God is a little harder to hear. When you start your day in a way that where you start hearing that and then you listen for it for the rest of your day, if you just do your devotional and check off your box and think I'm good, that's not going to work. The, the thing that I did is I've said do 15 minutes, but what I meant to say was is do 15 minutes, but in a year you need to be longer. Why? Because it turns out we're more screwed up than 15 minutes can fix. Right? We just are. So what we need to do is we need to spend that time with him until we get to, I just, I, I cannot express this to you deeply enough. I stand here week after week, and every once in a while, for reasons that are innumerable, too numerous to even imagine, I haven't had the chance to pray throughout the week like I wanted. And so I stand here as a cup half full and I try and conjure what I know to be the anointing and by his grace it usually goes okay but the difference between that and a week that I have spent in his presence and I come here not having to reach for something but being so full that it's flowing out of me as rivers of living water is all the difference in the world And you say well Kurt that makes it easy for you to pray all week because you have to do the sermon and so your butts on the line but I want to say something it wasn't until the last 20 some years that I was preaching I want to say for 15 years before I ever preached even once I was going out and experiencing the same thing which is I was going through every part of my life every person that I ran into if I was trying to minister from a cup half full I got something less than the fullness of what I knew to be there, and that would throw me back out into my prayer walk. Regardless of preaching, it was because I loved that person, and I feel poorly that I wasn't able to be the fullness of the instrument that God wanted me to be. And let's make it clear, I've never been the fullness of the instrument that God wanted me to be, but I know that there comes a certain point at which I am so full that it is rivers of living water that pour out. Do you see it? This is what he wants us to be. When I say he's sending us on a prayer journey, on a faith journey this year, I'm telling you this is that foundation. I'm asking you, do whatever it takes, figure it out. Whatever it takes, figure it out. Go to God, ask him. We're going to give you a shot to pray in right now, and I'm asking you, spend the time with him and find him. Because when you start doing this, I'm telling you, this is sinking and linking with him to be on that journey that changes everything. Now, Kara, go ahead. Thank you. I'm going to do something right now. We're not done. And because we're, because we're going to end here in about 10 minutes, uh, I'm not going to go as long as I want to go. But we're going to take about five minutes here. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I, I, for time's sake, I want you to know I do this every once in a while. I went ahead and I did... He's saying, why couldn't we drive it out? I assure you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain. And I want to say, having faith of a mustard seed is spending time with God and get lined up with Him. If you want to move a mountain on your own, grab a shovel and good luck. But boy, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you're overflowing with rivers of living water and there's a need, there's a mountain that stands in front of you, God is the obliterator of those things. And when we see Him, when we're flowing, when we're filled to overflowing, so that's just that. And that's why it's against that, I have to do something. It's about what God can do. That's why it's exactly the opposite spirit. See, one is I have to do it. This is Him doing it. And me just getting lined up with Him. But with that in mind, I want us to do this. I want you to take, it's going to be, four minutes. That'll seem like an eternity for some people. If you're visiting here and you don't know him, I love you. Would you just try this anyway? Would you trust me? Even if you don't know him, would you trust me and would you go ahead and enter into this? Because you're going to find that somebody's listening. You're going to find that somebody's actually talking back. Because what I'm asking you to do is just spend a little personal time talking and conversing with him. Ask him where you're not lined up. Have a conversation with him. Expect him to speak to you not the way that I am right now, so you hear it with your ears. Expect him to enter into your thoughts and thoughts to come that will make you understand. Wow, okay, that's right. I'm not lined up there. And wow, that is a way that I can get lined up. See what I'm saying? How do I do this? Ask him other things. How do I get to where I can actually have a prayer life? You know how busy I am. You know my kids. You know all my situation, right? How can I do this? So would you just take some time right now? Like I say, it's not going to be long, but take take a moment here. I want you to know what it is to ride this bike. I want you to feel what it is to be in communion with him.
2: to stay with me and keep watch with me set down your broken human eyes set down your broken human perspective and watch with me set down the formulas you've tried set down the road that isn't worth broken perfect eyes see through unbroken broken perfect perspective as you watch it. Lord would say, don't allow your mind, your rational mind to wind up the clock again for just like a clock that needs winding to keep time is human effort and an atomic clock just is already in line with the satellites. He says that's the difference between my will being done in the earth your will being done in the earth. I desire for you to stay in time with me, in line with me, so you don't have to wind the clock. You just are in time.
0: Reach down in front of you, would you? And there's two cups, and in the bottom cup is, is bread, and in the upper cup is, of course, the wine. Grape juice in this case. in Jesus' holy and precious name we take this lower cup in which is your body in which is our lives frankly first and we recognize how many different ways that we've wound ourselves up that we've done religious impulses that we've tried to fix things on our own that we've been marching to our drummer and so we've broken things horribly and even as Christians had so little to do with you. in Jesus, holy and precious name, thank you that the sacrifice of Christ is not just for the sins I committed before I received, but for everyone that I will ever commit, for every constant, for every choice, for every moment that I make a decision to walk in a different way. And you died for that to make me whole bring me back and make me whole, to restore me. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this finger, and we take our finger and we break that thing that is in that cup that in Jesus' holy and precious name was our broken lives but is now the by your stripes we are healed. And we take this cup together saying, God, heal me and make me whole again, yet again. now lifting up this cup and which is the life that you intend which is the life that you've always had for me from the moment that Jesus spilled this blood on the cross from the moment that happened this life was fully available to me and so in Jesus holy and precious name we take this cup and we say God no longer my will be done but yours as it is in heaven let it be done here and now in me on earth. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, your life, just like Jesus showed us, take this cup to become like Him. By the way. If